Mawale for the win. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. Large. Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. You're listening to All In, a women's sports podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another episode of All In. I am Julia Moss, joined here with Miles Grossman and Chris Persiainen. And guys, before we get into anything, I just want to say, I told you guys this off air, but the only thing currently in my system is like a large Starbucks iced coffee. So this might be a high energy episode today. High energy? I was thinking shaky. I mean, that's that's good. High energy is a positive way to look Listen, at we're, it. Listen, we're, <laughs> we're taking a what could be negative, turning it positive. Energy is what we're going for today. But... Let's, let's get a little bit of a rundown here because we're not talking about just one sport. We're talking about two and a lot of different subcategories of each. So let's just lay it all out first. We're going to start with the New York Liberty and Washington Mystics. The Liberty cashed their, their ticket to the next round. Um, we're going to go over the Dallas Wings at the Atlanta Dream. That series wrapped up as well, both in sweeping fashion. And then we're going to move over from women's basketball over to women's soccer because the saga with Spain Spain's women's national team is continuing to to heat up. It feels like on the hour we're getting a different, like a different crazy update. The way the RFF, the Spain's uh, federation, is ran is just so crazy, and it's it's honestly like a soap opera drama. Like with how, um, like increasingly intense each update gets. So we're gonna break that down where it stands right now. Emphasis on right now. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up with some NWSL expansion talk. Boston gets a team now um, as the NWSL aims for 16 teams uh, from 12 right now by 2026. And we're going to kind of compare that to, you know, why does the WNBA not being able to expand? But we're going to start now. Keep it close to home. The most, I would say, the most noteworthy news. And that is the New York Liberty defeating the Washington Mystics in overtime. And guys... We're going to start with game one. We're going to move our way over to game two. But game one, 90 to 75. Brianna Stewart didn't have her best performance. Three for 16, 0 for 4 for three point. And usually when that happens, that spells disaster for the Liberty as a whole. But not the case this time. Serena Unescu really, really stepped up, as did the other starters. So I want to hear your thoughts first on, on game one and you know how that set a foundation for what we saw in game two. Yeah, right off the bat, I think Benajah Laney has to be the number one takeaway from that yep. game one. I mean, Stewie, like you said, when Stewie's off, those are the nights where the Liberty have the potential to just fall flat. I think it was opening night a couple times early on. We saw this a lot, whereas Stewie's off, the whole team's off. Yep. Um, but but down the stretch, I think we've seen a, very little of that. And I think the the, the Liberty of old in Benajah Laney and Serena Unescu really came alive. I think it was fun to see. You know, Laney's a player... Uh, plays both sides well, tenacious, high-energy high score, drives to the bucket. I think she's someone who could really thrive against a team like Washington, and we saw that in Game 1. And, of course, you know, in Game 2, I think it, you saw what, what the Liberty can be once, once Stewie returns. But Game 1 was, 
you know, one of those rare nights that Stewie's off and, and, and Liberty escape. But I, I'm excited moving forward. I think, you know, no doubt about it, the Liberty don't have an easy path to get where they need to be. But uh, it, it should be fun. Yeah, that was really bad from Stewie in game one. Um, and I, I know we're not there yet, but there were a couple quarters of game two that looked the same, right? Like, I think she was hunting her own shots in a very, like, isolation fashion in a sense where no one else is going to get in rhythm. If the shots go in, okay. If they don't, you know, you're just – it feels like you're blowing possessions. Um, I, I really didn't like her approach to that. I, it just felt like she was trying to get hers, you know? I, I think that um, when you have players like Vandersloot and Ionescu who are so good at, at sharing the rock – creating advantages, driving into the teeth of the defense, drawing two defenders, kicking out to an open shooter, making things happen. You're probably best served using Stewart as a play finisher in the playoffs, right? I, I, I can't see her being the initiator continuing to go well as they, as they play tougher defenses. Like they, and it, I, I mean, I shouldn't have said continuing to go well. I can't see it starting to go well against a tougher opponent, right? Liberty have the winner of Sun Links next round, and – those are two good teams, and the Lynx are really uh, feisty. They're underrated. They've got Fee, Collier, and, and, and a good defense. They run a lot of inverted pick and roll, which Brondello went to in game two for a bucket late. Um, I like using Stewie like that. You know, get get Sabrina to set a screen for her and, and set something up in, in inverted pick and roll. Get Stewie going downhill, cutting, right? Get her open off, off a pin-down screen. But giving Stewie the ball and just telling her to go get a bucket hasn't been working for the Liberty. You really saw that in game one especially. Um, and, and it's a testament to them that they were able to win because of their strong like team structure outside of that. But I don't think it's a good sign that you know, you're know you looking to your alleged best player for a single good playoff performance and you can't squeeze one out of her. It's just not where you want to be it's it's great though that they looked fine regardless but that we know the mystics are not on the level like you don't have that breathing room against a dallas against connecticut against las vegas it's not there to play devil's advocate just a little bit i mean we're talking about the wnba second leading scorer in brianna stewart and at the end of the day in my opinion at least and and i want to hear you know your your retort or whatever the word is to this <laughs> but like you know shooters shoot and i feel like that has worked pretty consistently as someone who averages over 25 points a game so when it doesn't work in that way do you even though knowing that she is a pretty consistent score you still don't like the shot selection and that to try and shoot out of it yeah I mean look she had 27 9 and, and then three blocks two steals in game two I, I liked a lot better when her focus was more defensive mm -hmm. and just on hey all right I'm gonna get the ball in the mid-range and spot up for this jumper over EDD or all right Sabrina handed it off in a DHO I'm gonna go get to the cup on Deladon and just try to finish through her um I didn't love but I didn't mind when she just kind of walked up to the three-point line got the ball and took a three but I like it better when she dribbles at it and is in rhythm. Gotcha. I just want to see her in rhythm more. I want to see her moving. I think when she gets into the sidestep, pull up mid-range over Della Don, trying to show her one-on-one -on -one bag, it gets a little dangerous for them, you know, especially on a team where you've got so many all-stars. And John Quell's having a night like she did where she's moving great. They can't stop her at all inside. It's a free two points every time. It's almost like you got Asia down there, right? It's just that's what JJ does offensively is she has that versatility. You shouldn't be afraid to move the ball around. You know, Stewie, right. to go cross-league, it was funny when they both played in Barclays because Stewie reminds me a lot of Kevin Durant. And I think 
I have these same issues with Durant in the playoffs, which is funny. Like, you've got Devin Booker on your team, but you want to go get 27 points a game. Like, what's more important? You know, we, we got to mm-hmm. get everyone going. But we need our Kayla Thorntons mm-hmm. getting easy buckets when they're on the court. You know, you, you don't want them fighting for offensive rebounds to be able to touch the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's important when you're a team like the Liberty to kind of almost prioritize sharing the rock early because when it get, comes down to it late, you're going to get forced into those isolation looks. So you yeah. want to get as many easy buckets as you can as possible throughout the game. And I think Stewie just takes tough shots because she knows she can make them, not because it's the best look they can get that play. So that uh, even though game one was a win, I didn't love how the Liberty looked. I, I didn't think it, it – bore well for them for the rest of the playoffs against tougher opponents they did remedy some of that in game two though fighting through um, a really big fight from the mystics you know sabrina said it herself like they played like there was no tomorrow because well (laughs) there wasn't if they lost right and can we just talk about tasha cloud for like three seconds (laughs) oh my god Yeah, I know. I mean, completely. I know you're trying to ask me my bad. I, I agree. No, Natasha Cloud is someone because she made this personal. I mean, the, yeah, the, the comments so before much. the game, and then you know, Sabrina's a player who likes to, who, who who can buy into that as well. So I think it was fun to see them go back and forth like that. Obviously, you know, Natasha Cloud is someone who really had one of her best games. Right? She she has she talks the talk a little bit, and then. She's forced to follow it up, and that—I yeah. mean—that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Coming up against a Liberty team, you kind of put the target on your back after saying that your defensive performance was, you know, quote embarrassing and things like that. And I think you know they surely did step it up, right? If we're getting into game two now, you saw what happened in that third quarter. Uh, a big, a, a big, a big part of that was you know Washington stepping up defensively, and you know. It, the toughness was really there with Washington all year, and I think this is a team that battled injuries throughout, right? The the talent was always there. The talent was never a seven seed. But, you know, it, when you play a team like Liberty, you play a team like the Liberty. And, I, Chris, getting back to what you are saying earlier, you know, Stewie's a player. She, she's a top three player in this league, no question about it. Top two player in this league. Agreed. And when when you got a player of that caliber, that talent, I think you know you can question the 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 shot quality, but a lot of that game one performance is you know this is Stewie basketball, and then the shots aren't there, the shots yeah. aren't falling, and and I've, every score in the history of scoring has had an off night, and you know you know and that happens, and I think you know we saw that game two bounce back, but what what I really learned from the Liberty game one is that. These vets in in Laney, et cetera, can come alive when they need to, and that, and that's going to be big because you know you can't necessarily rely on thirty five from Stewie every night in this Connecticut series and this hopefully Las Vegas series. Absolutely, and and the other thing that I really wanted to touch on uh, about really it became a, a theme in the second game too is just you know the rotation that Sandy Brundell is going with. We saw. During the during the regular season, we saw a lot of Mourinho Hannes minutes. We saw a lot mm-hmm. of Kayla Thornton minutes, and then she did increase her minutes by by ten, going from seven to seventeen in game two. But Brondell has really put the confidence in her starters in the super team yeah. that the general that the GM and and company has created. So, my question to you guys is: Is this? I mean, obviously they swept. They're going to the next round, so it's hard to say. You know, it's not the right choice. But do you think there is? there could be more to add from this bench because it, I mean, we're not the, the deepest team in the league by mm-hmm. any means, but Mourinho Hannes is incredible and she's getting, you know, less than five minutes per game. 
What, what do you take from that information? Personally, I love the shortening of the bench. I love yeah. the, the tightening of the rotation because in my mind, there's been, you know, it's fluctuated a decent amount. I think there was a time early in the season where we thought, oh, is Steph Dolson about to lose her minutes entirely to Sobley, a young player in Sobley coming up? I mean, that was a legitimate and conversation. And then she got uh, naturally. <laughs> but, I mean, th- there was there was so much up and down. And I think now that this is the playoff you you don't want any of that. You 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 want a reliable group. You want your veterans out there. And I think you know, I've I'm obviously a big Marine fan, just as much yep. as the next guy. But I don't necessarily know if Marine is the player you want hefty time in a high leverage playoff situation. You know, she's someone who can almost act as this, this specialist off the bench, come in and provide a spark. And then as Becky Hammond has that famous cloak, she comes on, she does her work, and then she's off the court before you even know it. I think that's the kind of role you want her in in the playoffs, right? It, maybe five, ten minutes is yeah. fine with me. And also, she's a player that, you know, she's so electrifying, one of the most fun players to watch, but sometimes she takes ill-advised shots. And, you know, with that electrifying, you know, aspect to her game, sometimes those crazy shots don't work and then they're just crazy shots that miss. And then she'll go through periods where she'll hit the crazy shots at a high enough clip to justify the misses. And then, of course, what's the other side (laughs) of that coin? She can't always hit those shots at a clip to justify taking them. And I think down this stretch in the playoffs, you don't want that risk. I mean, she's fun. She's exciting. But is she that everyday reliable star? Not so much. I, I'm cool with five to ten minutes. I really yep. am. I think Brondello just kind of showed her hand on um, who the most important reserve is to them, right? Like, it's Thornton. Um, Johannes is really fun, <laughs> right? But this is the playoffs. <laughs> we got we need good. Uh, and I'm not, not to say that she isn't good, right? She's a really good player. This is a team where opportunity cost has to be a factor in your, your thinking with bench minutes, right? Oh, Marine Johannes is such a good, fun player, young player, this and that. That may not win you championships. If, well, it may. It does not give you more of a chance, though, right. than, right? Like, it's all about opportunity cost for me. You have John Quill Jones. WNBA MVP, somebody who can score, can defend. You have Brianna Stewart, top offensive option, maybe in the entire WNBA given her three-level scoring output. You know, Asia dominates those inner two levels, but that third level isn't really there for her. Brianna has all three levels of scoring. You could argue she's the single best scorer in WNBA. I I probably wouldn't. Um, I think it's so easy for Asia down low that you kind of have to go in her direction but regardless <laughs> i also think that you have sabrina yonesker who was amazing on and off the ball in games one uh, sorry in game one and amazing off the ball in game two yeah natasha cloud held her to some lower numbers right but how bad were those numbers actually well okay the well she had 11 points and nine rebounds and five assists and two steals and a block and oh she had a nice game and and that's the thing with this liberty team is that's all you need yep. from your star contributors is a really good game you don't need superstar level play this is not the atlanta dream where they hung around in one of two games because they got almost 40 points from ryan howard right they don't need someone to play out of their mind just to hang around 
Okay, this is a Liberty team that plays fine and goes up 10 on teams like the Mystics. So you really, with this team, this is what I was talking about earlier with trying to ditch some of the isolation stuff for just dribble handoffs, pick and pops, team basketball is because every single time someone on this team touches the ball, it's a good thing. You know, every time Vandersloot passes it and then they pass it back and then she reverses direction and drives the other way, like, it's all throwing off the defense. This team has so many options. And in my opinion, playoff basketball, WNBA, NBA, FIBA, uh, the World Cup that just went on, you know, whatever it is, it's about how many different looks that are high-level looks you can throw at teams. The Liberty have Jones. They have Ionescu. They have Stewart, as we were talking about. They also have Laney, who, like, you know, kind of, I, I think I, I've joked with friends that she is – to this team what Harrison Barnes was to like the dynasty warriors in the sense where he went off and got $25 million contract to, you know, be the stud, the stud wing on the Mavericks. Like she could totally go get paid big time something, but she extended in this role. She wanted to stay here in New York and play that kind of like fourth banana role that she's so elite in. You got to take advantage of all this stuff. You got to play like you're more than the sum of your parts. Right, share the ball, pass the rock, dribble handoff, whatever it is. Spain pick and roll, inverted pick and roll. I'd love to see the Liberty just get more creative offensively in ways that involve sharing the rock around because I think it works so well for them. For example, like we were talking about earlier, Brondello, they needed a bucket late in game two. They go to Stewie, Sabrina, inverted pick and roll, just get the two best offensive players involved. Boom, bucket, OT. Right, like it's just. I think it's that simple for them. So if if I'm the Liberty, you know, I try to take a lesson from Natasha Cloud and the Mystics. They're not invincible just because they have so many all-star talents. Someone really wants to put their mind to beating them, they can. Natasha with 33 points, six rebounds, nine assists, and that good defensive performance on Sabrina, right? It's about the strength of the Liberty as a team that's going to overcome these other star opponents, especially if next round they've got to go up against Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner, or they've got to go up against Fee Collier and, and the Lynx. Uh, after that, whether it's Arike and Satu or most likely the Aces, they've got a lot of big tests coming up. No doubt, they, and I think they have the the depth to handle it. I think when you look at Maureen losing these minutes, you, you got to look at also who she's losing them to. I mean, Laney, thirty seven minutes. Brianna Stewart, a full forty four. John Quell with the thirty eight, and then Sabrina with forty, and Vandersloot with thirty six. When you have between Laney, UNESCO, and Vandersloot, all at about forty minutes. I mean, those are three players you want on the floor at all times, and I don't think you're that upset. I don't even think Maureen herself. Yeah. Is that upset? I think she's going to be, you know, she, she's not an egotistical player by any means. She's she's going to be comfortable adjusting this role. And I think the Liberty are going to, you know, have, have what it takes out of the consistent five to probably keep Maureen out of getting consistent time. And moving, like, the sights completely to game two now, what really struck me about this game, I mean, besides the disastrous third quarter that they had that they luckily bounced back from, is that this team... Like, it, it was literally the opposite. Like, Brianna Stewart had an off game in game one. Sab was on fire. They win. Game two, Brianna Stewart on fire. Sabrina Eskew, not necessarily an off game, but different role. They still win. At this point, I'm wondering, like, this feels like what we wanted the entire season. It felt like, you know, every time there was a loss, it was like, okay, they're still learning, like, how to play with one another. They're they're learning their roles and, you know, how to step up when the other is not necessarily performing to their, their peak. And... It finally feels like at the perfect time they crack the code. They know exactly what it takes to uplift the team. And I mean, they almost lost this game, honestly. You know, 
well, they were down like two points with like 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Um, so it was a really close game in the second, but they won. And that, at the end of the day, that's what matters. They sweep, they will move on. They will play the win- the winner of the Sun and Lynx in the semifinals. That game is tied one, or the series is tied one to one. And let's say it's the Sun. I know it's not fair to think that mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be the Sun, but let's say it is. And Miles, we talked about this um, off air, but the, when you're comparing the Liberty and the Aces, the Aces have it's not a cakewalk because it's never a cakewalk in the in the WNBA playoffs. But when you're looking at the comparison between the teams the Liberty have to face and the Aces have to face, the Liberty definitely drew the shorter straw, and it brings a question: It's like, is the Aces? schedule and the fact that they're not playing as tough competition to the end going to be a detriment to them while the Liberty are having to play a gauntlet every week you know I think it is an interesting discussion because the Aces are a team that that's kind of been like their whole season is is this you know there's such a there's such a legitimate gap between the Aces and the rest of the competition that doesn't exist with the Liberty that is you know, the entire league, enough of a test to prepare you for when it really matters. And, you know, I think I, that it's really come to fruition here because Chicago is obviously, like, in, in a league with 12 teams, Chicago mm-hmm. is not a terrible squad. Obviously, they have a lot of electrifying talent or potentially electrifying talent. But that's not that much of a challenge, and that's not a Liberty challenge. And I think when you look at Dallas, while they are, don't get me wrong, one of the more offensively explosive teams ceiling wise they're right up there with the best of them these Dallas Wings but I I don't think that this is going to be nearly as taxing of a route that the Liberty have and when you look at a couple games against a veteran squad in Connecticut an OT battle against Washington that's no doubt a taxing path to get to the WNBA finals and I think there's two ways of looking at it they're in rhythm they were winning ball games and they're playing tough ball games, but they're also a little bit taxed. And I think if I'm the Las Vegas Aces, I'm I, I'm going to need to come out of, you know, I guess is getting a bit ahead of myself. But <laughs> in that hypothetical meeting, you need to start those games off with aggression, right? Put the liberty in their place, try and capitalize on those extra minutes that they very well could play. Because I think that Connecticut could absolutely steal one, yeah, steal two, absolutely right. And I think, you know. It, yeah, it, it's going to be taxing on, on these Liberty, but I think that the, the rhythm factor is, is is a legitimate point, but I, I'd, I'd prefer the, the Aces side of it the <laughs> easy way, personally. I think it's really close, guys. I, I don't think it's some runaway that the Liberty have the tougher side of the bracket. The, the Wings are so good. They, they've been the fourth-best team for, for a little bit behind Las Vegas, Connecticut, and New York. So, yeah, New York has to go up against, you know, potentially Connecticut, one of those juggernaut teams in the WNBA, you know, kind of a top-heavy league as of right now. Um, I, I just think that having to play Dallas is really tough for for Las Vegas, especially, you know, McCowan's size uh, coupled with Satu and with Arike. That is such a deadly, deadly formula. And you got Dangerfield. You got, like, this is just really – Dallas is really good. And, and I just think that – you know, sure, Chicago, a lighter opponent, but having to play the winner of Wings Dream in round two is pretty tough. Uh, the Dream, really close to being really good. Cheyenne Parker had some really great games for them, especially game one. I think you look at Ryan Howard, if she can just 
take contact at the rim and finish better at the rim. She's a superstar. So they're really close to being, uh, you know, close to as good of a team as Dallas, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, Dallas handled them, gave them the work game, too, because Dallas is there right now. You know, McCowan's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arike is already such a such a star in the WNBA. But uh, Dallas, Dallas is tough, man. They had to make it past Atlanta, and now Las Vegas has to make it past them. Um, I could see the Lynx beating the Sun. You know, I... I that would be fun. The fact that they were able to steal one, I think, says enough for me. Um, you know, the Lynx winning, uh, Tiffany Hayes is really good, right? But f- for me, the Lynx winning that one game just does a lot for Nafisha Collier and, and her standing as a top player in the league. And Kayla McBride, too, absolute hooper. So Lynx have a lot going for them. I think the Sun pull a- pull it out. But if it is the Lynx, that's not an easy opponent for the Liberty either. So, yeah. That should be tough. I just think the wings are really tough, too. So I don't know that's if it's so clear for me the Liberty had the, the harder side. That's the nature of the playoffs. And I think something else we need to to point out is that, you know, the aces and the wings, both they both swept to get to uh, game one, which is both uh, both semifinals begin September 24th, which is Sunday. Um, but Connecticut and Minnesota are still playing basketball. And I think that's an important factor that the Liberty have uh, in that advantage that the Aces don't necessarily, because it's not only just the fact that they have, you know, they're, they're going to be playing basketball longer than the New York Liberty, but it's also the prep time. The New York Liberty right now are thinking about, you know, whether it's going to be the Sun or the Lynx or they're resting, they're getting prepared. And it might be just a one day difference, but when you play September 24th, you know, not a lot of time uh, in that, in that frame either. So I think those two things coupled like not as much prep time, but also, having to play another game is, is something that the Liberty have to their advantage that the Aces don't. No doubt about that. I mean, Dallas is, you're right, Dallas is in the same position as Las Vegas, just waiting, yeah. resting for this one to begin. And I think, you know, the Lynx have, yeah, they've played the role of the disruptor for <laughs> sure. And I think, you know, Connecticut is that veteran team. It seems like, you know, for years and years they're in this playoff conversation. Lynx not so much, but right there with them. Both, I mean, both of these teams are only focusing on the other. And Liberty, you know, they don't doesn't really matter at this point. Like uh, neither of those teams are even thinking about the Liberty at this point because they have a deciding game coming up, um, which I believe is tonight. Tonight. Yeah, tonight. There's no games for like four days. No, but well, no, no, the the tied game. Oh, I think that's I think that is tonight. So we'll know who they who the Liberty will be playing after. Yeah, tonight tonight at 8 8 p.m. Perfect. That's going to I am so excited for that game. But my last question, and it's not necessarily basketball x's and o's but we've seen throughout the playoffs and especially last night you know celebrities really showing out nba players really showing out for this new york liberty team and and it draws a question for me of like you know you think five years ago you know it wasn't really the same scene and, and it goes hand in hand with the growth of women's the women's game um in basketball especially you know miles we talked about this a little bit but i do want to hear both of your thoughts on you know what I feel like it goes hand in hand with the growth celebrity showing up. You have Jason Sudeikis showing up. You have Carmelo Anthony, McCall Bridges. In my opinion, that is a great sign for the growth of the game because they all have their own fan bases that 
will see that they're at the game, and that has a snowball ripple effect, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I, when you see celebrities at an NBA game, you'll see you know the biggest names yeah. in pop culture sitting courtside, and it's a it's a status symbol to be there. It is a place to be, right? Yeah. If especially at places like Nick Games and Laker Games, that's sitting a, courtside. Sitting courtside yeah. is. It's a place of uh, of power, and I think you know more and more, especially as the league heats up a little bit throughout playoff time. Barclays Center is a place to be in New York as as a celebrity, which I think it was never in the conversation. Think five six years ago, these were playing up in Westchester. This yeah. Liberty team wasn't even in the pop culture conversation, and now that they obviously have a real place to play in Barclays, getting some New York attention is really fun, and I think you know. I'm a little reluctant to like to to jump on the hype just because you know I don't I, I almost think there's two sides to it are we mm-hmm. are we getting too ahead of ourselves that there is a little bit of attention like is that a should we should, should we had. more should we be more oh of course about right. this but at the same time you also have to have that realistic sense of this could this wasn't possible five ten years ago so yeah. I think it is no doubt the fact that the Barclays Center is a place to be. It is huge for the WNBA, and I think over the next few years, hopefully cities like, you know, maybe if the Sparks have a little success, Mm -hmm. hopefully the Aces courtside is a little bit more of a situation than it is this year. I think for me, it's like I've been following the WNBA for so long that, and I haven't seen this, so it's just so exciting. Mm -hmm. And something that, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize it's just like there is that sense of like, oh, of course, because as the league grows, that aspect is going to grow along with it. So it's instead of more of like a, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. My mindset should be more yes. of it is happening because the growth of the league. This is supposed is to be. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very exciting. But um, we're going to move on a little bit to a different sport. And that is soccer. And definitely not as much of a let's go kind of mentality about this either. Because it's very unfortunate. Spain's women's national team has really just been through the gauntlet the past month. Plus, I mean, honestly, the past year. Um, and a half. They boycotted accepting call-ups about a year and a half ago um, to get uh, head coach at the time, Jorge Vilda, fired. He has since been fired a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, the president made some very inappropriate actions. He also has been removed from his office. But they're still they're still boycotting uh, call-ups uh, as of a couple days ago. Since then, things have changed. So it's obvious that there are still things going on structurally that we're not that we're not aware of that haven't been made super public, which is not a sign to be like they shouldn't be boycotting. Because if these are the things that we know, the terrible things that have come to the public that we know, there's obviously going to be things under the surface that are could be significantly worse that we just don't know about. So I think if anything, the way I view this is that that's just confirming what I already thought of, like, it's not just this, this is just what we know. Exactly. I think what this speaks to is that what we saw were were symptoms of what was going on versus what was going on. And I think, you know, watching what really stood out throughout this whole situation to me was watching the people at the top of the Federation double down and say, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Obviously, you know, we're accustomed to kind of American cancel culture, if you will, where if if this were to happen and, and, and a player were to come out against an, a, an athletic official like this, you would assume that the athletic official would turtle. Especially after what we saw in the NWSL, they cleaned the entire staff of like every yes. team. And then, but when you see him willing to double down, that probably speaks to how you know kind of heinous <laughs> the culture is behind closed doors. If he's 
comfortable doubling down and saying, what do you mean this is problematic? What, I mean, it just begs the question about how, how dangerous it could be behind closed doors. And I think what is, you know, when you're trying to shift a culture, that's not easy. You're, you have to rid out, obviously, the people who perpetrate that culture. But also it's deeper than that because the, that, that's kind of been the, the norm for so long. If you replace people at the top, that doesn't necessarily destroy the, the, the gross culture. So I think, you know, obviously it's, it's tough to know what's going on behind closed doors, but you have to assume it's, it's worse than what you would have imagined. Yeah, I mean, you just have to – the way I – this is so, like, heavy, right? Like, the way I look at it is um, the players are, are taking a stand, right? They, they want to all make the same point, probably should just, like – shut up and listen to them and yeah. let them see what they've got to say why you know I, yeah. I, like why this is such an insane conversation to be having like uh i don't get how this has gotten this far honestly i feel like this has been a point of discussion on soccer pods fqvfc like like he and one-on-one here at wfuv for a couple weeks this has been going on like this is it was ridiculous, but it's like getting really ridiculous. Yeah. I don't want to say it's only getting ridiculous now, but it's getting like really ridiculous now. Yeah. And and something else that's for me personally, it's like after what I saw throughout the the NWSL, all of those things, you know, coming out with with players and coaches having you know abusive relationships, um, you know, coaches taking advantage of the the power imbalance there. This doesn't surprise me. It's it's sad, but it doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is, you know, now that the the people at the top know about it, they're just, you know, protecting those and, you know, I want to make one thing clear. The the RFF Spanish Federation is not should not be praised for firing Vilda. They should not be praised for firing Rubiales because they were put in a corner and they had to because of the public outrage. At first before there was like so much public outrage, they said they weren't going to fire either of them. In fact, Rubiales said he was going to give Vilda a raise throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing. So uh, just because they were put in a corner and decided, like, OK, our hands are tied, like, we'll do this. Who ca- Like, I'm happy it happened, of course, but it is not a positive reflection on RFF. And clearly there are still issues going on. But just to, you know, kind of update where we're at right now, the boycott ended after the government intervened and helped shape an agreement between uh, the Federation and the players. However, two players, uh, Mappy Lin and Patri Guijaro, have both left uh, training camp. They will not be penalized. Uh, they said it was for mental health reasons. And that's the other thing. Like, The Spanish Federation threatened to take away their license and fine them $30,000 if they didn't show up to camp initially. So before this agreement happened, they were going to show up and just not play because they're something about spanish soccer laws where that's apparently a thing that they have to show up it's stupid law but that's kind of where we're at right now it seems like they're going to play spain spain has removed uh the men's and women's titles from the football teams which is has to be something that uh happened during the agreement it's a good sign uh chris you made a good point whether or not it's like or i can't remember it might have been miles but one of you guys said like it might just be like pr service level it was miles um I agree. I mean, that's it's a good step. But at the end of the day, what does that do to change the structural abuse in Spain? So that is definitely going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. But the last thing I want to talk about is the National Women's Soccer League. They have expanded to Boston. Um, It will play in 2026. 
very, very exciting because Boston has had a very long history with uh, soccer and having good NWSL teams. They had the Boston Breakers. I'm so happy this team is coming back. But what I really want to talk about here, and, and Miles, we have talked about the WNBA expansion at nauseum. We have talked so much about, you know, why is that a standstill? Why is that at a standstill? And the NWSL expanding so often and so frequently with, I mean, if you look at the, the attendance numbers, they're not all that different. So what is it about the WNBA that has them stand still at 12 teams for so long? It's, it's a good question because on, you know, in certain circles, it seems that there is enough attention and enough uh, viewership to warrant two more teams. But I think when you look at it financially speaking, it's... You, you have to find two willing parties. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think there's a lot of inequity when it comes to owners across the WNBA. When you have a Joe Tsai, a <laughs> genuinely a Chinese centibillionaire, yeah. and then you have Davis over with the Las Vegas Aces, and then you have everybody else. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of um, unwillingness throughout the league to, to progress just from a, you know, from a willingness to, financially invest your own money yeah. and your own resources so I, I i do think that it'll happen in the next five to ten years but <laughs> it is it, it is a good question about why is it so impossible for the liberty and the aces to kind of have a couple more new 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 names in the in the mix because i think you know there's no doubt what's going on in these two cities in las vegas and new york in particular is kind of the model that needs to happen throughout the league where you have these budding fan bases and budding rivalries yeah. and, and things like that and i mean it, I, it obviously the WNBA has to look at the <laughs> nwsl as a bit of a case that i see saying why can we not do this i think you know i i would say that the nwsl is arguably bigger yeah. across more circles yeah right like the there's a lot of passion when it comes to the wnba but it's it's it's, it's small pockets. You yeah. can make a case small pockets. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, guys. I mean, you take a look at the business side of things. The WNBA has cost a lot of money for the NBA to operate, and I think that that money is more than worth it and should continue um, to be invested in the WNBA. But I I just think when the reason for the delay is when you're already operating at a loss and you're whole sell is the future it's tough to get the investors to want to lose more now i think they want incorrectly in my opinion but i think what they want is for this league this you know form of the league to grow to profitability before early like show big steps before they add to it it's kind of the chicken and egg thing right you know how many good players are you going to let get waived and sit out of the league because there aren't enough roster spots on not enough teams yeah the nba has 30 teams 15 roster spots and we still say at times the nba needs an expansion because there's so much amazing talent wnba is 144 jerseys right you got 12 teams 12 roster spots on a team that's ludicrous so i you know really if you could get say to 13 roster spots per team on 14 different teams you're looking at 182 players um which you know 38 more jerseys than right now that would be really big so two more teams one more roster spot for team per team hopefully by like 2028 that's something we could see in the WNBA just two more teams one more roster spot per team give me give me 14 WNBA teams <laughs> give me 13 roster spots yeah. you know and and let's just see this league continue to grow because 
I think we're kind of stuck right now in this chicken and egg scenario where the league has kind of plateaued profitability wise. I feel like not viewership wise, but profitability wise, it's getting to that point where you've reached the best you're going to get with this current setup. You know, we're getting so many viewers now um, that they've made so many big strides. I think you want to keep operating in that zone where it feels like there's so much left to go. I think they're close to optimizing this current market that they have. It's been really great this season. Viewership up uh, to something like 21% of the regular season. Um, I think uh, the primetime window games got viewed like 140%. You know, it was just like some crazy numbers, right? I, I think you keep adding markets. You get more teams. You know, can we get um, Sacramento's team back? That's a huge basketball market now and a really passionate niche basketball market out in Sacramento. You saw the beam for the Kings be a really huge deal. Get the get the Royals back. Get the Royals back. And and where else, you know, maybe somewhere else in the U.S. you get a team. All of a sudden, there are your 14 teams. And Memphis, at, Tennessee. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> I just think um, it's, it's very within reach. So and, that they should do it. I also think, and Julie, I don't know if you'll even have an answer to this question, but I Let's think a, an interesting way of looking at it is what is the NWSL doing right? Like, why, why is there this? Because when you talk about expansion in the WNBA, it's this larger than light. There's this black box around yeah. it. It's like it's this impossible, only thought of on a <laughs> conceptual level, impossible to think of yeah. on a on a like day-to-day, how could we build to that level? But in the NWSL, they're tackling it. It's aggressive, and they're getting it done. I don't, I don't know if you have an answer, but it seems that their approach is admirable. Well, there's a couple things. One, um, and this I, this might be the, the WNBA's example of, like, the NBA fostering money. And U.S. soccer, I believe they still – I'm, like, 99.9% They still sure they still do it. If anything, they'd stop this year. But up until, I believe, to the present, U.S. Soccer Federation pays – the salaries of U.S. soccer players, and it's called allocation. So if you play on the U, if you're called up to the U.S. women's national team, your salary is then paid by U.S. soccer, not mm-hmm. by a club team that you play for. So the, you're only getting one check, and that is from U.S. soccer. Um, so that might be one small, but again, that's, that's just yeah. you know, it's only two players right? on a team. You know, two to four players on a team. Yeah. It doesn't make enough difference for that to be the reason. But there's a lot of enthusiasm and. That's just a word I just can't say. Um, from owners who are really passionate about women's yeah. soccer. You look at Angel City in L.A., it is nothing but A-list celebrity. You got, like, Jennifer Gardner. You got, you know, Serena Williams and her husband, owner of Reddit. And, and the list goes on Natalie Portman. There's just a lot of excitement around women's soccer, and I don't understand, like, why that is not shared by the the people who are in those social circles of basketball like just why basketball Mm. fans don't want to you know basketball billionaires don't want to throw their money in and help the growth of women's basketball like they do for women's soccer and it's funny because i felt like you know you hear a lot of these up-and-coming leagues but one that comes to mind off the bat is pickleball right you'll Mm -hmm. see like oh this guy attached his name to this new pickleball league yada Mm -hmm. yada yada and you know you see guys like sadakis courtside at the liberty i'm sure there is that celebrity following who'd be yeah. willing once that kind of project really gets underway. It's confusing. I mean, I, I feel kind of silly sitting here because I don't really know why there's that black box when it's I think I about it. But it's like, yeah, we, we that's that's worthy of its own episode. Because, you know, being such a fan <laughs> of both the NWSL and the WNBA, you see on one side the NWSL where it's like, 
grow, 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 positive, positive, yeah. positive. You know, everything's going great. Or and then the WNBA, impossible. it's like there's this huge wall where it's yeah. like you can't grow. And I don't know what the difference is. That's something that, you know, would be a lot of fun doing some research on that I haven't done yet. But I think that's a really good place for us to, to finish off this episode. We'll be back next week to talk some more WNBA, some more soccer. Until next time, All In is a production of WFUV Sports.